This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to Second Captains at the Irish Times. In the grander scheme of things, uh, footballer getting injured and having to miss a few weeks of football is not earth-shattering news. Mm. But when the footballer is Luis Suarez and the initial reports are that he may miss some or all of the World Cup, it becomes a pretty big deal, especially for the people of Uruguay. Do you remember before the 2002 World Cup, there was ongoing issues around Roy Keane? I think it was his knee at the time. His hip was probably bothering him at that stage as well. I don't know, but certainly his knee. And the thought that Roy Keane might miss the World Cup, the thought that Brian O'Driscoll was going to miss the Rugby World Cup in 2007 when he had a punched by a Bayern player. These things are so huge within the country. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's, it's insane. If only I could be in Montevideo right now (laughs) on to uh, take the pulse on behalf of second captains at the Irish Times. Unfortunately... I'm still here in Dublin with you. I've seen various um, reports about footballers and non-sports people tweeting about having the exact same meniscus injury and having the same operation. And the recovery rate seems to vary quite wildly. Some people are saying, I yeah, I know, so. John Terry just takes a, takes a few days, a couple of weeks, you're back, no bother. Others are saying it's a six, seven week kind of job, in which case the problem is getting back and then being fit. Now, Lewis, we've seen this issue with Wayne Rooney, where he's... It's happened in at least one major tournament where he has. It's been the last three, I think. Yeah, has just has come back, not coming, not fully fit, and he just can't get to the pitch of it. He's not the kind of play, he doesn't yeah. have the kind of body shape. Maybe doesn't have the kind of mindset for whatever reason that can actually be comfortable in going in not fully, not fully ready for a tournament like that. Suarez, you would imagine if he's on the pitch, he's <laughs> he's probably going to perform. Uh, so maybe that won't be an issue. Maybe it's just a matter of getting him back and getting back in the training on the week of the first game and then like. yeah I think um, I think he probably is the kind of guy who will if he's if he's able to play he's able to just completely forget everything else that happened before he got into the before he got into that but I mean it is 
uh, it is just uh, a bombshell for Uruguay and for the, the guy himself. I mean, if you're thinking about uh, pretenders to the Messi-Ronaldo throne at the moment, uh, we're, we're, we've already been denied Zlatan because of the playoffs and the fact that Portugal beats uh, Sweden. But Suarez is the, the next guy in line, effectively, to actually step up and say, right, I actually belong at this stratosphere of fame and brilliance and all the rest. And uh, if his um, if his preparations are messed up in any way, it is actually just really disappointing. I was thinking about which players you need to see in the World Cup, which ones I'd be most disappointed or which one would be most dis- disappointed about missing out on injury. Uh, Leo Messi, I think it's clear. It's just, yeah. There's so many reasons why it would be great to see Messi win a World Cup with Argentina in Brazil. I have Luis Suarez number two there, even ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo, just because... He's, so, he's such box office, and not that Ronaldo isn't, but he's almost more guaranteed than those other two to give you something <laughs> in the, over the course of a game. It's potentially Cristiano Ronaldo could, could be kept reasonably quiet, he, and if that happens, he probably won't blow his top, yeah. whereas with Suarez... The two guys will either score or they won't score. Yeah, Suarez might do something could crazy. score, might not score, and then there's a whole raft of other things that might happen <laughs> yeah. uh, on foot of Luis Suarez being on the pitch. The football show today is already out because Ken's over traveling to, or is travelling over to Lisbon, I should say, at the moment, so we got Ken before he went off for that uh, look ahead to the Champions League final, um, which, he, of course, he's travelling over to Lisbon for. We've got Gabriele Mercati and Sid Lowe, too. It's a great show. Yeah, um, and maybe if Ronaldo wins that in Lisbon, maybe we've seen enough of Ronaldo winning things by himself. That's and the other thing. I do want to see Suarez win something. That would yeah. be kind of nice as well. Not that Uruguay are likely to Let's win continue this rating uh, in every <laughs> show right up until the start of the World Cup. Usually, on. over the course of the hurling championship, you'd be happy enough with... I don't know if you agree, Murph, but I would have thought maybe three or four compelling storylines. You could, you could ask for one Titanic match between Kilkenny and Tip, say, one massive upset and one huge controversy. And anything over that is a bonus. Last year, we must have had about 10 different angles to wrap our heads around. Limerick and Dublin winning provincial titles after massive weights. Kilkenny having to play Tip in early July to survive in the championship. Kilkenny then getting knocked out by Cork with Henry Sheffern being red-carded. Mm. Cork's whole year under Jimmy Barry Murphy getting within a few seconds of an All-Ireland title. And then Claire alone must have had about four or five amazing storylines. We've got David Fitzgerald looming over everything. Tony Kelly, hurler of the year. Shane O'Donnell's hat-trick in 13 minutes of an All-Ireland final. Uh, how can this year possibly measure up to all of that? Yeah. But, you know, we did kind of say the exact same thing. I remember the weekend after the quarterfinals, Limerick and Dublin had won the provincial finals, and everyone said, well, you know, whatever happens from now, it's been an amazing hurling summer. And the implication being, right, well... Let's not get greedy here. Uh, there's no way we're going to have even one ha- semi-decent game in the three games left. As it turns out, there were four games, yeah. and they were all amazingly good. So, um, you know, why not? Why not, Owen? I'm, I'm going right. to take that line of thinking that instead of just, you know, we're hoping for the best here, we're going to have an even better summer. Wexford, Owen. Wexford and Offaly, they're they're really going to up their games if you're nine potential Ireland winners. Benny Dunn and Maris O'Brien are going to be in studio shortly to tell us if they think that, uh, if they're as confident as Murph that this year is going to be at least as good as last year. And we're also going to talk to US Murph today about the great state of Indiana Murph. Yes, did, why not? Did, did you just pick a random state and decide we'll, we'll talk about... Next week, in? Iowa. <laughs> uh, no, Indi- the Indiana Pacers are playing the Miami Heat in the NBA playoffs at the moment. And uh, the more you think about it, you know, the everything, all of the, the, the great uh, uh, media that you've read about basketball, a lot of it has actually 
that you've read or seen about basketball, a lot of it has actually been based in Indiana. If you've read, you know, the best three basketball books of all time, probably A Season in the Brink is in that. That's by John Feinstein about Bobby Knight, who's a manager of Indiana University. If you love sports movies, you've probably seen Hoosiers, which is a high school basketball story based on fact, based in Indiana. And then if you're an ESPN 30 for 30 fan, you probably have seen Reggie Miller versus the Knicks, which is an absolutely hilarious documentary about the Indiana Pacers and their rivalry rivalry with the New York Knicks with uh, Reggie Miller uh, at the centre of it all, an Indiana Pacers fan or a player. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there seems to be loads and loads to talk about. And me and you have seen the first two games of this series. And their fans are totally insane. Yeah, I caught I, I, I caught some of the of game two, and I was struck by how venomous they were in appealing for every last decision when they knew they were wrong. There were a couple mm. of decisions that went against them, and were so clear it was unbelievable. LeBron James at one stage gets knocked, shoulder charged over the the sideline. He uh, the, the foul is called against the Indiana player. Crowd all start going crazy, right? And then all you hear is. The whatever men 15, 20,000 whatever fit into these uh, indoor stadia all you hear is flopper, flopper as in diver, diver LeBron <laughs> James kind of looking going come on I've been accused of that maybe but this this was not a dive Yeah. Uh, so yeah I think they're quite rabid fans we'll talk about all that a little bit later on but Waterford and Cork and Thurless this Sunday is the first big game of the Hurling Championship delighted to have Benny Dunn former Tipperary captain and All-Ireland winner in studio with Morris O'Brien formerly of Limerick and Dublin with whom he won the Leinster title last year guys thanks very much for calling in is it um, well I guess the first question is no matter what happens Morris this summer is it going to suffer by comparison to last year which is pretty ridiculous yeah it's got a lot to live up to you know like last year probably will go down as one of the greatest ever of summers from a hurling point of view Um, yeah it's got something to love up to. If it's half as good, we're in for a treat. Is it too much to hope for a similar level of excitement? Because the, when last year exploded, Benny, I think people were comparing it to the 90s when it, it wasn't just one year. It was one year followed by another year. Mm. Claire came along, other teams came along, and uh, suddenly you had a, an era. Is there a chance that could happen again? I think there definitely is. Um, there's no doubt about it. 2013 Championship was an absolutely cracking year for Hurling. I mean, I think come the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final, you just couldn't pick a winner in the Hurling Championship. I mean, you go back to the Clare Wexford game. Clare lucky to draw it, won it after extra time. I mean, nobody would have thought Clare went, would go on and win All Ireland after that. And it really took a life its own after that. And I think the Championship has tend, tended to go that way over the last couple of summers where you play your provincial championship, the Leinster Championship, or the Munster Championship, whatever. That kind of plays out. And then the real Hurling, you, you feel, starts to come day. All-Ireland quarters and All-Ireland semi-finals and that's when it's really won and lost, you know. And yeah. I think definitely 2014, definitely a year to look forward to. Again, I think there's, I think Morris will agree with me, there's five, six teams that can win the Hurling Championship this year compared to, I think, if you look three or four years ago, you know, you looked at Tip, you looked at Kilkenny and the winner was going to come from them too. But I think this year, 2014, it's going to be five or six teams in the mix there. Yeah, and I think the, I think there was a stat. After Kilkenny had been knocked out, there were four teams left. It was, so it must have been at the semi, yeah, it was the semi-final stage where the bookies just basically, it was the same odds for the four teams, mm. which is, like, you just don't see that in sport. You know, that, that level of uh, uncertainty amongst the bookies and even amongst the, the people watching. And I think you can carry that into... To, to this year and you know we've what we've seen from Clare this league, in this league campaign has been uh, that they haven't gone away but they're not streaking away from anyone either Absolutely and I think you know I think. but if you look at the start of the league campaign 
Davy Fitz after winning the All Ireland last year, they would have been on a team holiday for two weeks. You know everything that goes with winning an All Ireland championship. But the one thing that struck me about the Clare players in particular after winning the All Ireland last year, and I would have met a few of them at the the night of the All Stars, the likes of Tony Kelly, Colin Ryan, Podge Collins from Cratlow, just really grounded young fellas. And I think that will stand to them coming into 2014 that those guys are not just happy. I would say to win one All Ireland, that they want to go on and create what the Clare teams of ni- in the 90s did in 95 and 97 by winning two, three and four All-Irelands. Having said that, it's going to be really, really difficult because you have Kilkenny coming back, you have the Henry thing going to win, trying to win his 10th medal. You know, you have Tip coming back into the mix. Dublin are, you know, doing really, really well. I think they're going to have a big year this year. Galway, while they were disappointing in the in the league semi-finals, they'll come back, you know, Canning will get the thing going again and they'll be there. So, like, it's really, really exciting and I think Sunday will kick it off with, with, with Cork and Waterford, which we didn't even mention yet. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that later on, but everybody gets excited when a, a young team like Clare wins the All-Ireland and this talk of them maybe winning two, three or four has been mentioned, but I'd imagine, Morris, in counties like Limerick, for example... They might be a little bit irked by that. I would have thought there's probably a few counties who feel we're actually as good as Clare, but they got the hop of the ball in a couple of games last yeah, year. I, I think you'll see that the other semi-finals from last year would see themselves being as good as Clare. You know, like in Clare, probably got to rub the green, got over the line, like you know, barely over Cork. You know, even though they were a better team over the two games by far, still barely got over the line. Limerick would have seen themselves facing into last year's All Ireland semi-final as probably being better than Clare. You know, so it's a big role reversal from them to look at where they are now and look where Clare are now. You know, so in the space of less than a year like that they're probably seen as the outsiders of all that top group now have been there and Clare are seen as being up there with Kilkenny as the favourites to win the All-Ireland but looking at the Clare I suppose these guys are used to winning they've won under 21s they're used to winning Davy Fitz is like a supreme motivator I spent a good few years with him Fitzgibbon Cup supreme motivator great to get lads back down the ground like, and he looked after a lot of real top players you know you had Shane McGrath there and Joe Canny and Owen Kelly all in Fitzgibbon Cup with him like, so he's used to dealing with top players that are at the very top of their game and he's used to getting them grounded again Like so I think from that point of view Clare have a massive advantage having Davy on board Yeah and I saw him recently speaking about the fact that he was confident in changing his game plan for the All-Ireland replay last year or was it the final of the replay where, uh, where he changed things up entirely but the reason he was confident was that he said that they had six different game plans not just that they had them in their in the back of their heads, they had actually trained over the course yeah. of the year. For, and he said they were all they're going to be comfortable going to any of these specific game plans, which I found extraordinary. Is that what you yeah. have to do that's, now? That's, that's Davy to a yeah. T. Like you know, he's there is no stone unturned with him. Like and that doesn't surprise me at all to hear that. You know, like you'd be looking at teams going out maybe two two three max game plans. Like they, that's Davy to a T having six and having it worked out and, ha- and everyone knowing their job within each of them roles. Mm. It's interesting as well because you know, say in rugby, you. This thing, sort of thing happens all the time. You know, there are teams that they say, right, well, we have to adapt to the opposition or we have to adapt to a referee in rugby. It's something that in in the GA, like, Davey, Davey caused a bit of a stir when he said that, you know, that, that they had six game plans. So, I mean, that's obviously where it's going. Yeah, and like, if you look, it's coming into Ireland as well. Like, you know, like, like we all know the inter-county referees now. We all know what they're, like, what they focus on. So it's moving into that series now that you know what you can get away with one and you know what you can't with another. Like So it is moving that way and it's gone that professional at this stage, you know? But in, yeah, sorry, Benny, you want to come in there? Just to pick up Morris's point, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think in the last two, three years in particular, that is the way the hurling has gone. I think three and four years ago, you had one game plan. It was direct ball, get it into the full forward line, you know, in front of your man, the backs played tight. But now there's game plans left, right and centre. Because the game's gone a lot shorter now, 
you're looking at like Clare have done that Cork won all Ireland's playing the short game and that takes plenty and plenty of, of training and practice and a game plan before you go out but other teams are starting to do that now and that takes a lot, an awful lot of work whereas before it was just a direct game a simple enough and game it, plan but the way Hurling has gone now there's definitely all this other stuff coming into play and yeah. if you don't you, you just won't uh, you won't live with the likes of Clare and Dublin and these teams And it was Kilkenny really that narrowed it down nearly that you know they were so dominant that Everyone just said it's Kilkenny's world. We have to live in it by playing Kilkenny's way. And so the, the fact that Clare won playing the way they did last year maybe legitimises loads of other different game plans. And people say, right, well, Clare won it one way. We can win it another way. Which is why this this summer could be as exciting as it could be. Absolutely, maybe. and you're 100 percent right in that. Like you look at Kilkenny, what they've done during the national league, they've you know they've had to play in a way where they're going to have to live with with the likes of Clare and the way they play. I mean, Cody has, you know, he's left Tommy Walsh on the bench, he's left JJ on the bench, Jackie Turrell. He's brought in kind of a a, a smaller type player, a, a quicker player, to live with the likes of the Clares of this world, where when it comes to summer to Crow Park, it's top of the ground hurling, he's going to need speed around the pitch. Whereas before, you're right, in that Kilkenny where, you know, they're dominated under the high ball, they were way more direct. But he's just stood up now and said, lads, we're going to have to look at what Clare did last year and kind of, you know, tailor our game to try and to, to beat the likes of those teams around, you know. It's funny because Cody did an interview with Keith Duggan there a while back in the Irish Times and he seemed to be, I don't know if irked is the right word, but I, I, it, there was a sense that I've, I've heard all this before. I've been told before that there's been these tactical advancements and that the game has moved on and you have to catch these counties. But it, he was kind of put out there that the whole idea of the tactic side of hurling is a little bit overdone. And he, he does this quite regularly. He simplifies the game quite a lot. Um, is that just something that, that he likes to put out there, that he's maybe trying to give the impression that he's not thinking too much about it? Oh, when he's probably thinking a lot about 100%, it. 100%, yeah. you can be sure. Like, Cody has this worked out to a T. Like, he's not... Like, Kilkenny just don't play off the cuff hurling. Like, they're, they're, like they know what they're at as well. Like, you know, like, even, like, going back three, four years ago, every time Tommy Walsh got a ball, he seems to end up in the far side to Henry Shefflin. Like, it doesn't happen by accident. Like, they've, they've it worked out as well, you know. I suppose their advantage was they had the guys that you could play higher ball too. That was their advantage. They had players all over the field that could win their high ball. And it's coming to a stage now where teams, like, they know they can't compete with them in the air. Mm. So you have to move them around the place. Like, and I suppose Tommy Walsh, the likes of these guys are probably getting to the, like, into their 30s now, you know, and probably the legs aren't what they were. So teams are moving them around the field. And that's probably the reason why they're not didn't win last year yeah yeah. it was tipping Kilkenny in the league final again this year and it nearly maybe it nearly grimmed people out seeing the, the two counties back again in another final but what what it actually said to me the standard of it what, what it said to me was that tipping Kilkenny aren't going away but at the same time the quality of what they showed that day was high but not to the level where you're thinking you know if you're Clare, Limerick, Cork, Dublin, Galway as we said those other five county, counties that weren't in the league final God we have to up it again that they just happen to be the teams in the league final they played a good game but nothing to be scared of at the same time Yeah and at the end of the day I suppose it was only the National League final and while at the time it seems hugely important at the end of the day I think all teams it's towards the championship that they're looking and I think to be fair to Tip and Kilkenny it was a decent game of Hurling the standard was was fairly high but definitely not at uh, 
championship level yet but you would expect that because I suppose Tipper pr- tried to prime themselves for a championship in two weeks time Kilkenny uh, uh, this weekend um, so like that was a small bit off alright and I think probably not as high quality as the league final was uh, last year between Tip and Kilkenny down Nolan Park where that was an absolutely cracking game but these games can tend to take a life of their own um, it did go to extra times was you know the both teams were getting tired near the end of it but at the same time they had you know looking out of the corridor eye towards the championship in a couple of weeks time and uh, taking it from there I suppose looking, looking this year I suppose last year you'd have looked at the league final and you see Kilkenny Tip and you'd have been saying look they're the two main contenders this year maybe Galway are there with them whereas now you, you rely, they realise that everybody else is there bang there as well Like, so there's no point extending yourself completely in a league final Yeah, and this you're, the one you're thing caught that, on the hop then yeah. and start, start the championship this is one thing that worries me slightly and that last year it was so exciting because it came out of nowhere whereas this year we're all saying oh it's definitely there's six or seven counties involved so I'm hoping none of them fall away you have to be a little bit worried about Limerick maybe given the turbulence they've had losing Donald O'Grady as manager uh, they were Munster champions last year which is easy to forget maybe Morris Um are you concerned for them, or is there? Well, the, I think you'd have to have a certain yeah. amount of concern. Like, but I, look, I suppose, look, as a Limerick man, like you'd have to look back and like, why, why is there always trouble in Limerick? You know, yeah. like it's every couple of years. Do you have an answer to that? <laughs> Who has an answer to it? Like, you know, it's impossible. Like they even brought out a book a couple of years ago about all the trouble through <laughs> the years. You know, um, like you look at it, like the county board probably don't do any favors. Like, but look, you're facing into a championship now with a new management. Well, not a new management team, like, but like a management team that without what you'd have seen as the main guy in it, Don O'Grady. They've made an addition, Dave Clark, who's a very good coach, like has coached a lot of teams at club level around, you know, a very good coach. I had him at under 21, going back about 10 years ago and found him a good coach at that stage. So I'm sure he's advanced very much at, at this stage. But um, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to worry for him, like, you know, and it's probably they're going to be changing game plan now from a Don O'Grady shorts type of stuff, going back to what we'd see as traditional Limerick hurling of all long ball, you know, and like like the short stuff. I know Limerick people don't like the short game, you know, to a certain degree, especially around the back line, but you can't go back to revert it to route one either, you know, like there needs to be a mix of both. So what, what way are Limerick going to shape up? Like, are they going to have a route one game plan? Are they going to mix it up? It's very hard to work all that out in a few weeks. The the, the thing that strikes me about Limerick is that it's, it's understandable if things are low and then there are issues with managers and county boards or whatever, but it seems it's likely to happen in Limerick directly after they've had a really successful year as it, as uh, and it's everybody's likely that it'll happen then in the turbulent, less successful times. I mean, do you think that that, that opportunity to build on the monster final that that's kind of been blown now? That but at the same time that they are used to dealing with that upheaval, so maybe you know they're yeah. they're not in as bad a situation as other counties might be if this happened. Yeah, I don't know. Is it blown really? You know, like but like it's a lot of good young players. Like it's a nucleus of a young team coming through there. You know, there's only a couple of really old established players like Don Grady, Don Grady the player. But um, yeah, the most of them are young players. Like you've Dowley and Hannon and Downs and all these. Like you know, they're only coming into their prime now, so it shouldn't. Like you'd hope it wouldn't affect them. You know, going forward, like they're good enough players. They're proven. They've proven it. They've won a monster championship. Um, you'd hope it won't affect them going forward. But again, it's hard to tell. It affected the teams that went before them. So yeah, the their openers against Tip, which uh, well, I suppose there've been two Tipperary teams in the in the league campaign. The stuttering side from early on, and then the team that. Went pretty well in the knockout and almost won a league title. Benny, any idea which one is going to turn up for the championship? Well, no doubt about it. I think the the better tip team is going to show up for the championship. Um, I think we've really gotten our act together in the last uh, four to six weeks. I guess uh, I think the turning point, and I said it already, was the was the Dublin game in Crow Park or in in Semple Stadium, where it was a must win. If we had lost, we were looking down on a relegation match against Waterford the week after. Whereas if we won. We were in a in a quarter final the week after against 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 Cork, and uh, you know they won that a tight game in Tarlis 
and you know it was a, it was an eerie day I was at the match myself the crowd were down on the lads things just weren't going well but we scraped the win in the last 10 minutes when we really needed to and um, you know I think the lads have really drove on from there um, had a cracking win against Cork the week after put up a big score I think 324 Bubbles Dwyer uh, Shamey Callan really coming into great form and, and kicked on and beat Clare in the semi-final and uh, you know nearly toppled Kilkenny in the league final so I think Tip are just hitting the ground running now um, and the word is that they're flying in training and things are going well uh, it's a very happy camp and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them in the first round against Limerick Yeah when they were going really well when they won the All-Ireland a couple of years back and challenging Kilkenny every year there was a, a manic intensity about them that maybe dropped away I know that I'm, sure, I'm sure there are more tactical nuances to what happened to them but have they got that back or do, do you think that they're they, they will have that just raw aggression that you need on top of all the other stuff. Absolutely, and I think that's where we probably fell down in after winning the All-Ireland in 2010. We came back and were beaten in the All-Ireland in 11 and probably lost a bit of momentum after that. I don't, it's hard to put a finger on why. I suppose some changes in the panel, new management, uh, change in the structure, probably a, a, a slight change in the way we were, we were playing as well. But I think Eamon is a, in, into his second year now. I, I would definitely say last year was a difficult year in general for him but he seems to have gotten the thing back on track this year and I think you know come Sunday week the tip will be raring to go we have a home draw it's in the stadium and you know we'll fancy taking Limerick scalp that day I think We're not going to go through every county but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts Morris on Dublin, Galway the, the elf counties we haven't mentioned so far are either those likely contenders? I'd say the two of them are big contenders without a doubt you know um from a Galway point of view, they'll be very disappointed with last year. You know, a whole summer, a magical summer of hurling happened and Galway were hardly mentioned. You know, like after being after being to the All-Ireland the year before in a replay, like you'd say main contenders the following year and to completely flop would be like with the great players they have, like, you know, it shouldn't be happening to them. I'd see them back as major contenders this year. Yeah. Um, you know, you look you look at like Joe Canning coming back there now with Portumna, looks to be in great form for facing into the championship. They need him on top form. They need the other the other players on top form as well. You know, Irlatanian and these guys look like they've Irlatanian back centre back now, which I I was been years waiting to see Irla playing there. I played with him in college. Fantastic player, like but I think he's a ready made centre back and it looks like he's gonna nail down that position. I'd see them being major contenders this year. Um Dublin point of view. I think they're banged there. I think Dublin are ready now. You know they're primed. They've all the confidence in the world. You know they've, I suppose they've lost two semi-finals in the last couple of years. I think it's time now to push on. You know to have a Leinster title under the bag. They've won a league title. They're banged there with everybody. They're like you know they're a seasoned team. Like I, I think this year is a major year for them in their development. Like you know Anthony Daly's not going to be staying around forever either. You know yeah. so it's it's time to do it for Dublin at this stage. And we we'll get our first look at Cork this weekend against Waterford. Uh, I mentioned that it can be easy to forget that Limerick lost last year. It can be easy to forget how close Cork were to Clare and how close, close they were within seconds of winning mm. an All Ireland title, which would have been a, an incredible achievement given the where they came from. Have they got more in the tank? I think they have. I think you look at Cork. Um, I think when it comes to a shootout, Cork will always clock up big scores. Um, I think especially the weekend, they'll fancy the Waterford game, big time Waterford, the 3-4 debutants playing uh, younger guys, whereas Cork are a more, more probably solid outfit in terms of the experience. I mean, Patrick Horgan, who in my opinion is one of the more underrated hurlers in the country, I think he's absolutely top class. I think a lot depends on him. Harnedy's super, Connerly Han. So, like, 
Corker, Corker, a very good team. You'd, I think in a shootout they'll they'll win most days. They'll clock up three seventeen, three eighteen, no hassle. That's probably but why they fancy Waterford this weekend as well. Yeah, you know, because and Waterford I, don't really have the defence to, yeah. to to stop them. Yeah, and you think later on the championship, but when it comes to the tight games against the likes of Kilkenny or you know Dublin or Tip or whatever, in the low scoring games like the one thirteen to one fourteen, you just you just wonder will they struggle to get over the line in matches like that? Whereas you, you'd have no fear of Cork when it's a wide open game of hurling and they're up in Thurles and they're you know, popping points over the bar and that. So, um, but definitely look good this year, and I, I fancy them to go a long ways as well. Okay, it's, yeah, a, big, it's a big thing there, probably. And Cork and Cork will beat you most days in a shootout. You know, as Dublin found out last year in the semi final, Dublin went and had a shootout with them and lost. I suppose the first half magical hurling. Dublin, we, we kind of went back then in the second half to drop the man back. We wanted to just squeeze the life out of him, and it was working. You know, and and I and I firmly believe it was definitely going to work for us. You know, whereas you get into a shootout with them. Yeah, very, very rarely you're going to win it, you know. But we were beginning to squeeze the life out of him in a way, you know. And back to what we, we what we do best, man back, box the middle of the field, and Cork weren't able to cope with that until the sendings off, maybe. So, like, I think that's the way to play Cork is you choke the life out of him, and like yeah, these these guys aren't. That, yeah, like I was at that match as well, and the, the, the turning point of that game was actually Ryan O'Dwyer getting sent off. Yeah. I was looking down at Patrick Horgan's after dropping back out to midfield. Dublin, he, you know, Dublin had squeezed the life out of him, as Morris said. Like Dublin were going to win that game, then uh, Ryan was unfortunately sent off, and then uh, Cork pushed on from there. They got their structure right again and kicked on and and got the points and uh, to win the match. So you're absolutely right on that. So I think if you squeeze them up good and tight, they find it hard to to win those games. So it'll be interesting to see in that regard. Well, when we did our football preview last week or a couple of weeks ago, we practically well Murph was presenting and had to badger our analysts into predicting anyone other than Dublin to win it. It's way more open looking in the uh, in the hurling. Morris, who's going to win the All Ireland? Well, you'd have to look probably like while there's five or six, maybe seven teams that would fancy their chances of winning it. Like the top two at the moment are Kilkenny and Clare. So, like, who do you pick out of Kilkenny and Clare? They'd have to be the two favourites to win it. Um, I don't know. It's probably I'd hate to say Kilkenny again, but they look like they could be building right. a, a team to win it. I'm, go, I'm going to go for a dark horse. I'm going to say Dublin. I think get a bit of momentum during the year. They're really, really fit. They've great hurlers out there. I think. Oh, you meant to keep him down as an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Sutcliffe in particular, absolutely top class hurler. Um, so looking forward to see how they go during the summer. I'll be keeping a close eye on them. Murph, while you're, oh, while well, you're asking, well, if you're asking me, just I'm, to be polite, I just felt it was a natural. <laughs> uh, I'm probably, I'm probably <laughs> going to have to side with Morris to be honest. Uh, if in doubt, say Kilkenny. Okay. Yeah. So I think so. Yeah. Listen, Morris O'Brien, Benny Dunn, brilliant stuff, and uh, we're looking forward to a great season. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Guys. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Just on Cork Waterford this weekend, Murphy might have glossed over a small bit there, uh, we're trying to get get so much in and uh, great to hear the, the two lads' thoughts on the championship. I'm at least as excited as I was, probably more excited than I was having talked to them. They've reassured me, Murph, as mm. you have, that this is going to be a good championship. But on the game this weekend, both of them felt that Dublin had the semi-final in the bag last year if they'd kept it tight. Uh, well, sorry, they had kept it tight, um, but if they hadn't lost a player, hadn't lost Ryan O'Dwyer. Waterford are maybe not the kind of team you seem to allude to there that will be able to play that type of game. Yeah, I mean, I think traditionally even Cork-Waterford games have just been score fest you know I mean it's 10 years this summer since you know maybe the best Munster hurling final of all time the 2004 final that Watford won um, and that was just 
an ex- just an, an extraordinary display of open hurling. And I, I, I think that you know the counties sometimes have relationships with each other that actually count for an awful lot when you get down to uh, games between those two counties. And for whatever reason, that's the way it's always been with Cork and Waterford. Uh, and I just think that Waterford have they're not experienced enough probably in the kind of half forward line uh, to close a a game out the way that Dublin very nearly did last year as Morris was talking about there. So I do think that it'll be open and I do think actually that that Cork will win it. One interesting thing about it and we didn't really get a chance to talk about it with the lads either was um, the fact that Cork, as we say, were within a miracle point of winning the All-Ireland and even then in the replay they had their chances and played brilliantly in spells but no one really there was an element of disrespect I thought towards Cork uh, as a team that it would have been a travesty if Clare hadn't won the All-Ireland that was the, and that was kind of the the general the general gist of the post-match yeah. analysis um, and as a result their achievement in getting to an Ireland final and very nearly winning it was kind of demeaned and then they were in Division 1B this year we haven't really seen them so I mean, it's it's impossible to go into a championship within a second of winning it and be kind of dark horses again. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the role that Cork appeared to be fulfilling this year. Artist time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behaviour. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. And he's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep it in. Got it! Got it. Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordon! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Ryan Murphy, I've missed you. How are you? Fantastic! Great to have you back on from your world travels, man. I, uh, the the country of Ireland can't contain a man like you. You need to get out and spread your wings. No, huh? I got it. Yeah, I had to had to say hello to my uh, Italian cousins. Um, <laughs> not literally Italian cousins, but you know. Hey, you know that's my deal. My dad's the 100 percent Irish. My mom's the 100 percent Italian. Yeah. So you are now. We are bonding on the full Brian Murphy experience. So. Let's bond on Indiana basketball today, Brian. Both myself and Murph. There, Indiana Pacers are playing the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals in the. NBA at the moment it's tied at one game apiece both myself and Kieran here have watched the couple of games we both watched parts of the games and have been struck by the same thing the crowd in Indiana seemed like a, rather a rowdy bunch <laughs> well I tell you what I mean the Pacers are their whole other I mean the, the Pacers themselves are a topic of conversation because they've been a very confounding and vexing team uh, a team that had great high hopes to uh, to to really knock off the Miami Heat this year, but they really just inexplicably had some sort of in, internal problems that have derailed them the last couple of months, and they haven't played nearly as well as they had the first six months. They are, however, in the Eastern Conference Final, and they did win Game One. But I'm just I'm I'm a firm believer that they've shown enough flaws that they will falter and quickly too. I'm going to take the Heat in five in this thing, but. You are right to uh, to take a to peel your eyeballs and check out them Indiana basketball fans because I think if you ever of all the states in the union, if you had to draw a state and a sport more closely tied than Indiana and basketball, I don't think you could. I don't think you could. I mean, football you think of as a South college football thing, baseball really not tied to one particular state. 
High school uh, football in Texas, maybe? High school football in Texas, definitely. They aspire to be like Indiana in basketball. They really do. And it's funny because you guys see the Pacers, and, and the pro basketball in Indiana might be the least fervent of the three levels, the other two being college, the Indiana Hoosiers, Indiana University, and then, as you mentioned, high school, high school football in Texas, high school basketball in Indiana, which, I mean, I don't know how many times you and I – have brushed up against the movie Hoosiers, but I'm sure we have on, on many occasions through the years because arguably the greatest American sports movie ever made. I mean, in the final conversation with Rocky and, uh, you know, maybe a Field of Dreams or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, that kind of level of, of epic connection and any number of legends that have come out of there. So, yeah, they love their Pacers. Maybe not as much as they love their Hoosiers and their high school hoops, though. You're a Gene Hackman fan, Brian, aren't you? Well, let's go through some great Gene Hackman roles. Come on now. Uh, yeah, Popeye, let, Popeye Doyle. Popeye Doyle and the French, French Connection. Connection. Filmed right here in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Uh, other great Hackman roles. Uh, well, it's got to start and end with Coach Norman Dale. He wants five passes before every shot, right? He'll throw you <laughs> out of practice if need be. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he will establish the fundamentals and make the underdog believe. I'll tell you what, Hoosiers, come on. All about second chances, guys. If you study that movie, every every character in there has some sort of faltering that gets a second chance, from Dennis Hopper to Gene Hackman to Jimmy Chitwood, the kid himself. Uh, all about redemption. What a movie. True story, too. Milan High, Indiana. Uh, yeah, great stuff. They still have legendary uh, high school basketball tournaments to this day. Although in those days, in the days of Hoosiers, there were no levels or divisions. It was every high school entered into the pool. Every high school played in it. Now, of course, everything's been... Uh, sort of divided or fractured into divisions, your small schools, your medium schools, and your big schools. That's what made that story of Hoosiers so incredible, so much like the U.S. hockey team beating the Russian pros, was the underdog factor of the small school of Milan beating the big school from South, uh, South Bend, which is where Notre Dame is. So, yeah, the Pacers uh, and their crowds, they, they tried to get it going, and the crowd was into it last night. Uh, when they took on in Game 2, and look what happened in the fourth quarter. LeBron and Wade took over, as they are wont to do, and pulled over, uh, pulled away, even though they were trailing in the fourth quarter, and that gold-clad Pacers crowd was quite disappointed. Bill Simmons has written for ESPN this week that he feels they're actually the best fans in the NBA. Do they see themselves as uh, a small media market, maybe, or you know, do they feel that they're looked down upon by some of the more traditional, big-time sporting states? Well, it's an interesting place. I mean, Midwesterners, by a rule in general, and I think we've talked about this before with Packers fans, are, if I had to generalize, easily the nicest people in America, really? uh, Midwesterners. So you're never going to get too, you're never going to get any kind of hard-edged attitude, or you're never going to get any kind of, um, you know, uh, woe is me, or, or, you know, hey, screw you, like the New York thing. Hey, we're New York tough, screw you, or Boston, or Philly. We've talked about those things. Nor are you going to get the sort of laissez-faire, laid-back, West Coast, I'm too cool for school thing. You're not gonna, or you're going to get sort of the rabid Southern thing where they're so crazy for their college football. I think in general, your Indianans, your Iowans, your Wisconsinites, they're just going to be really hearty, good people who are really behind their team, who aren't going to do anything stupid, who aren't going to like embarrass their fan base or you know, create any kind of problems or riot. Of course, now I say this, watch the Pacers win the NBA championship and watch Indianapolis burn. But, yeah, I mean, they would definitely be uh, one of the better fan bases. It's funny he says that, though, because we here in the Bay Area, 
actually quite take tremendous pride in the Golden State Warriors fan base because the Warriors fan base has often been cited as the best fan base in uh, in the NBA. So I think these are almost fighting words from Bill Simmons. The uh, Pacers and the Warriors fans can have a smackdown. But no, he's right in the sense that uh, it's a deeply proud basketball state. It's a fan base that generally gets overlooked because of the, the, the size of its market. You know, Indianapolis is not even, I mean, God, I haven't even looked to see where it ranks on American cities, but it is a small city. And in Indianapolis, in Indiana itself is a small state. So there's a deep amount of pride Guys, think about the history of basketball in that state. It is incredible. And I'm going all the way back to the name John Wooden, who, of course, was the legendary U.S. college basketball coach at, wait for it, UCLA, your boy's alma mater here. They won 10 national championships under John Wooden, which is the greatest college coaching performance ever. He's an Indiana boy. He was born and raised in Indiana, went to school in Purdue, played basketball at Purdue, and was viewed as a guy who was so successful because of his homespun Indiana wisdom, the kind of like he was not just from Indiana, he was of Indiana, and all those, all those uh, stereotypes we attach to it of humility and hard work and grace and sportsmanship, all this stuff that just seems too hokey to be true. John Wooden embodied all that. And then flash forward to, you know, who else came out of Indiana? Out of French Lick, Indiana, the great Larry Joe Bird, Larry Legend himself, Larry Bird, the hick from French Lick, as they called him. <laughs> you want to talk about a story, another kind of Indiana-born legend uh, from, a, uh, from an impoverished family, a tragic family of his father committing suicide, very sad stuff, did not come from means whatsoever. And French Lick, Indiana is the kind of town, I get the impression, I've never been there, that if you drove through it, you'd say, what a godforsaken place, who would ever live here? And it's Larry Bird who came out of there. So we're talking Bird, we're talking Wooden, we're talking Bobby Knight coaching in Indiana through the years. So yeah, of course they're going to take great pride in their hoops. Yeah, Bob Knight is the coach at the center of a season on the brink, the great John Feinstein book, and he coached the real-life Hoosiers uh, Indiana Hoosiers uh, college team for 29 years, wasn't it, uh, it close to three decades? One of, the, you know, one of the greatest coaches in the history of American college sports, and yet an, indign- an, uh, an inglorious ending uh, when he grabbed a kid who said, one of the weirder stories of all time, apparently the kid said to him, what's up, Knight? What's up, Knight? And Bob Knight found that disrespectful. He should be either Mr. Knight or Coach Knight, and uh, apparently grabbed the kid, physically grabbed him, and, uh, and that's a no-no. You can't be laying your hands on kids, especially in the 1990s or the early 00s, because back in the old days, Bobby Knight did that kind of stuff. He famously choked a kid at practice. He famously threw a chair across the floor. Real hothead, real lunatic. And again, we do all this, it seems like every week we do the recommending, and I know you guys probably have read, but if your listeners have not read A Season on the Brink by John Feinstein, Really, right up there with Ball Four by Jim Bouton and other legendary sports books that changed the genre. You know, it just changed the way uh, we looked at a sport or looked at how we report a sport. John Feinstein gets all the credit in the world for convincing Bob Knight that to embed with him for a year. Now, I don't know if you read, Feinstein wrote a, um, a big memoir at the, uh, recently in the last year or two where he kind of goes over all the books he's written. And that one, you know, he still holds a deep anti Knight feeling because Knight, he feels, threw him under the bus. He feels Knight knew everything was going to go on, that he reported everything that Knight agreed to. Knight claims that all his rants and profanity-laced tirades were off-limits, and he was very upset at Feinstein for writing that. Basically, it was doomed to end in a bad way. Two really strong personalities, Knight and Feinstein, each wanting different things. Uh, Feinstein wanting a good book. Knight 
while trusting Feinstein to a certain degree, realizing it was not what he wanted in the end. And so it ended badly for the two protagonists, the author and the coach. But for us, the readers, we win because we got to see how one of the most intense minds in the history of American college sports uh, ticked. And he just was a he was an obsessed guy. He was uh, some would say crazy. There many people came away from that saying, I'd never want my kid to play for Bobby Knight. Other people came away saying, I would want my kid to play for Bobby Knight. I want my kid to get his butt kicked. I want some discipline. It all depends on your view of discipline and your view of coaching. Uh, and Bobby Knight in that one, of course, comes off as a very, very hard guy, but also with a deeply soft edge where he would do these heartwarming things for people at the same time, like all these complex personalities. You can't just paint them with one brush. But Knight, uh, of course, uh, was so famous there. Won a national championship at Indiana, the last time, uh, the last undefeated team ever to win a national championship, the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. So yeah, for a small state with really no kind of national profile, the, the sport of basketball and the Hoosier state is it really... It's almost like a folklore thing. It's almost like a, a mythical thing. And the Pacers represent that. Yeah, and uh, to continue the recommendations, uh, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks is one of the great ESPN 30 for 30s. And where I actually first saw the whole Indiana love affair with basketball laid bare. But the Pacers have never won an NBA championship. They very nearly got there a couple of times with Reggie Miller at the centre. But that particular documentary... And for those of you who haven't seen it, you really should go and see it because it, it might not be the best med 30 for 30, but it's probably one of the most entertaining because it basically pits Reggie Miller uh, against uh, the film director Spike Lee. Uh, and it's it's a hilarious story, but it, it revolves around the 1994 Eastern Conference semifinals where Miller takes on the Knicks basically single-handedly and is like also while beating the Knicks single-handedly. Uh, there is game one where he scored eight points in nine seconds at right in the fourth quarter. He's also having a war of words with Spike Lee on courtside and like uh, mimicking, choking, and all the oh, rest of this. Oh, it's incredible! Yeah, because it's, Spike Lee have been he'd been playing awfully, I think, in that game, and Spike, Spike Lee is sitting there, standing up in his face. You're a choker. You're a butler. All these kind of things. And as Reggie Miller starts sinking all these baskets to win the game at the end, he's actually sinking it, turning around, almost walking over to Spike Lee and managing to get embroiled in all this while absolutely killing Spike Lee's team. It's a, a strange story. Maybe it's a bit of a it's a bit of a footnote to the history of Indiana basketball, Brian. But it's entertaining. Well, it's absolutely entertaining. You guys, I'm glad you guys are totally up to speed on it because it is amazing in the sense that it's almost unprecedented before or since. I don't think we've ever really had a a basketball player engage in such an open uh, dialogue slash feud slash war with a courtside fan, much less somebody as famous as Spike Lee and as high profile as Reggie Miller. And yeah, you mentioned the the nine points in eight seconds or the eight points in nine seconds, I forget what it was, a couple of threes and a couple of steals. But Reggie famously turned and gave the choke sign to Spike Lee, telling him the Knicks were choking. It was just incredibly brassy stuff. Very, very uh, – some people were very turned off by Reggie for doing that. Some people thought it was, you know, you should be the, uh, the graceful sportsman. Do your, let your play do the talking. Other people were just wildly entertained by it because it was two guys being as raw and real – as can be. It and was Spike, hilarious. of course. It was, yeah, one go ahead. The funny, it was one of the funniest things I've seen on a, in a sporting arena, like ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
it really was. And you know what's funny? After we all all this discussion we had of John Wooden and grace and humility and all that, that it, now we've kind of gotten into Bobby Knight and Reggie Miller. And for this state that I've portrayed as this Norman Rockwell painting, two of the biggest loudmouths ever are associated with it. Reggie Miller, uh, known as a cocky hot dog, and Bobby Knight, known as a hothead who chokes players and throws things. That does not jibe with the stereotype I was painting of the of the simple barn and the hoop nailed out by the barn and you shoot in the morning as the as the cow moves and the and the rooster crows. That's basically the the poetic vision of Indiana. The real life vision is Bobby Knight chucking chairs and Reggie Miller screaming at Spike Lee. So uh there are many dimensions to the Indiana Pacers, who by the way, just for your trivia uh, folks out there were originally an ABA team, the American Basketball Association, which was, of course, known as the flashier league and the challenger to the NBA in the 60s. They played with a red, white, and blue ball. You know, they were they were just kind of that, that um, sort of like the AFL was to the NFL with Joe Namath and the Raiders being different than the establishment NFL with the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants and all that. And Indiana won three ABA championships back in the day, but they have not won an NBA championship as of yet. Brian, just to bring it back to the current series, Game 3 is on Sunday night. And at this part of the world, if people have BT Sport, they can watch the games on on that station. Um, You mentioned that you thought that the Pacers were well set earlier in the season. Is it just a case that sometimes the season is so long that it's almost irrelevant what you're doing a couple of months ago and you can tend to fall apart when, when the heat comes on? If, yeah, you, if, you'll par- if you'll pardon the pun there. Yeah, no sir, no joke. I mean, the, the NBA season, 82 games, many detractors have said for years that it's too long, especially when you have such a long playoff. I mean, guys, what is today? You know, we're in late May now, and when did we start this? We started this in mid-April, and we're not even at the finals yet, right? This thing's going to go till June. So you're talking about a two-month-long playoff slog. So, yeah, how you're playing in December and January becomes ultimately irrelevant. Now, of course, it's relevant in the sense – that you need to compile enough wins to have home court advantage if you think home court advantage is important. But if you look at it this way, they played 82 games to get home court advantage, the Indiana Pacers, and they lost it in one night. Because once you lose one game at home, you've lost home court advantage. So it seems disproportionate, the amount of work you put in to get to something that can go poof just like that. And ultimately, it's about peaking. And I think the Heat have learned that. The first time, the first year they were together, they had such trouble kind of meshing their expectations and their egos and the pressure they were handling. And now you see a Heat team that even though they haven't played great this year, I mean, they still won what? I have to look at their win total, 58, 59, 60 games. I mean, that's amazing. I'm saying I'm putting them up against, you know, the Bulls of the Jordan years by comparison. But they know now to turn it on. And, guys, even specifically turning it on in a game, like in the fourth quarter, you know, just stay close and then turn it on. It's a long, hard slog. It's a physical season. You can't spend your body's energy too much too early. And the Pacers, for whatever reason, had it going on up until about February. Nobody's really uncovered the smoking gun of why it's gone so sideways for them. Roy Hibbert, their big center, has been known to be a mentally fragile guy who is uh, very, very self-conscious. He's a deeply intelligent guy who seems to think too much out there. And something went wrong for him, and he lost his confidence, and, and it, the team has kind of felt that way too. He's had flashes in this series where he'll play okay, but it just looks like the heat of the team that understands, hey, we've saved our gas till now. It's late May. It's the fourth quarter. We're going to put the foot on the gas pedal, and they're probably going to zoom right past the Pacers. Brian Murphy, enjoy the rest of the series. Thank you. You're the best. Take it easy, guys. Brilliant as ever from Brian there. 
I think he likes, I remember speaking to him about Texas a number of years ago. And mm. he, I think he likes this. We, maybe we can go state by state with the US Murph. Yeah, well, um, I mean. Just, you know, just, just, just pick a state a week. Or we could just, you know, say we're going to do it like uh, Sufjan Stevens, but not, not actually have any intention of doing <laughs> Sufjan it. Sufjan Stevens never finished that off. No, no, no. It turns out that was just a big gag. Oh. I mean, we're, doing the, we're doing the mats on it. You know, an album a year, that's 50 years, 51 years, 50 years. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that turned out to not be true. That Bob Knight in- incident that Brian referred to that ended Knight's career as coach of the Indiana Hoosiers in which he grabbed a kid for saying, hey, what's up, Knight? If you know anything about Bob Knight, I think that kid might have known what was coming there. Um, but anyway, that's covered in the ESPN book that I've been banging on about recently, Murph, that I finally mm. finished last week. Jeremy Shap, a reporter with ESPN and a journalist and author who we've spoken to on the show a good few times, actually had the exclusive interview with Knight after that incident. So Knight, this is the bit where Knight comes out and is supposed to apologise, which he didn't really do. Uh, he was obf- obfuscating somewhat. But Knight had been friends with Shap's father, Dick Shap, who was a broadcasting legend in the US, which is why he gave him the interview, possibly expecting an easy time, but Shap gave him an understandably tough interview. At one point, Knight flashes what Shap describes as an evil grin. This is during the interview and says... You've got a long way to go to be as good as your father. You better keep that in mind, right? <laughs> Bobby Knight has asked about this whole incident in the book. And I can't actually read out some of what he says about Shap because it's not really fit for uh, radio, to be honest. But he concludes with this. Forget that guy. I have no interest in talking about that. Jesus Christ, enough of this bullshit. And so ends Bob Knight's only contribution to the oral history of ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only bit that's in there. Uh, incredible. Oh, man. Well, that's, uh, that sounds yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like the sort of thing that Bobby Knight would have come out with, judging by uh, US Murph's description. Of yeah, it. and just the uh, season on the brink is amazing, and it's interesting that Knight was so annoyed about it because it was generally quite glowing. So much of it was about one thing that Knight was huge on, even back then, and this is a big issue in American college sports today, that is that so many colleges just you know, get recruit the top players, give them their marks to get through, and forget about it, yeah, and thereby leading leading them a path where if they don't get into the NBA, they're kind of screwed because they're not properly educated and they have these almost false uh, degrees and diplomas from the universities. Knight was a real stickler for the players being in class, for the players being educated, for the players being rounded people, incredibly loyal. He's a lot like, sounds a lot like Alex Ferguson in a lot of ways, incredibly loyal to the guys who were loyal mm-hmm. to him. And then if you've crossed them, that's it. There are a lot of similarities in that way. So he's not just this... I don't think he can coach a, a team for 30 years by just being a complete lunatic at all times. A lot of the players absolutely loved him. Even Isaiah Thomas, uh, one of the most famous NBA players ever, was actually in that room where Jeremy Shapp interviewed, um, interviewed Knight uh, was, uh, to, to mm. show that I'm backing this guy up. I think he might have been an NBA player at that time. So there's more than one side to him, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the bad side is usually more interesting in a lot of people. The football show is already out. Um, if you want to have a listen. Oh, just to mention... I know Brian didn't get a chance to talk about break. Another part of the great literary or, or sort of media canon related to Indiana. Mm. Breaking Away is the name of a movie that I wasn't familiar with. Yeah, it's a cycling movie, but it's so much more than that. It's a coming of uh, age American coming of age I comedy love coming drama of age movies uh, from 1979. Um, so they've they've graduated high school and they don't know what to do with their lives. <laughs> so that's where cycling comes in. Cycling and uh, some sort of weird Italian. Uh, obsession, some romance. Oh, it's a it's a bubbly. People obviously used to come of age a lot earlier in previous years, and because Stand by Me is always seen as a coming of age movie. Yeah, those 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 kids are like twelve, thirteen. Well, yeah, these guys should have already come of age. They're nineteen, twenty. They're out of, twenty one. They're out of college. They're grown yeah. up. They have they've, they've come of age by that stage. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a misnomer to call it. Maybe Stand by Me just maybe coming of age just means you know 
you mature to the age that you, <laughs> well, probably that as well. Maybe you just mature to the age that you currently are. So you mean you can come of age in, at the age of 65. Oh, so it could be, yeah. You know, I'm working, but now I've retired, so I've come of age. Say I've, the bucket list or something like that. That could yeah. actually be described as a coming of age movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I'm not backing that, actually. The I fo- like that last remark, stricken from the record, Owen. <laughs> Ken is on his way to Lisbon, should be over there by now for the Champions League final. We put out our, we already have our football show out there with Gabriele Mercati and Sid Lowe, along with Ken, looking ahead to that. Uh, so do have a listen. You can hear that show and anything else you want on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains uh, on iTunes, also SoundCloud and the Podcast Republic app is the best one to use if you're on Android. Thanks very much for listening to this show. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 